You are whole and capable no matter where you're at and what you're going through. Need help accessing that capability and the answers already within you? I've now opened several one-on-one trauma-informed coaching spots to do just that. Visit humanamplified.com front slash episodes front slash 103 to schedule your free discovery call and learn if trauma-informed coaching with me is for you. I'm your host, Brandi Fleck, and this is Human Amplified. We're on a mission to revamp society by amplifying your humanity. This week on the show... Hi, I'm Sarah Skillen, and I am based in Franklin, Tennessee, just a little bit south of Nashville. And when we clear out our headquarter, it opens up the opportunity to think differently. Yeah, I just love to see that aha moment on someone's face. Very early in my organizing work, I had clients who were sharing with me that they had a diagnosis of ADHD. It's about trusting yourself, learning to trust yourself to make decisions. Today, we're talking to Sarah Skillen. She's a certified organizer coach, certified professional organizer, and is the founder of Skillset Coaching and Organizing based in Nashville, Tennessee. You might remember Sarah from her Human Amplified blog post that came out right before season four of the podcast started. It's called Embracing Life Order, Past, Present, and Future. Definitely check that out as she takes you through a fun little exercise for cleaning out your junk drawer. In today's episode, we dive deep into how setting up your space to work for you ripples out into how your time flows. We learn a bit about how Sarah found her calling in organizing in the first place, which is an interesting winding journey through music, the legal field, and then into coaching, where the need to create safe spaces for those diagnosed with ADHD became clear. That's where ditching conventional methods of organization came in for Sarah. And she leaves us with some tangible tips for how to take the first steps in organizing your space without becoming overwhelmed. We discuss how to facilitate action, even when it's tricky, and dealing with clearing clutter in families or groups where individuals each have their own needs. Spirituality and intuition is a big part of who Sarah is. So we end by exploring how that ties in to the structure of life order. For the links mentioned in this episode, including how to find Sarah and her website for skill set coaching and organizing, visit the show notes at humanamplified.com front slash episodes front slash 103. And guys, this is the second to last episode of season four. Be sure to tune in next week for the season four finale of the Human Amplified podcast. Sarah, welcome to Human Amplified. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. No problem. I'm super excited to talk to you today. I know that you wrote a guest blog for us when we kicked off season four and your episode is going to air at the end of season four. So I feel like it's just like the perfect bow, like on the package of this season. Let's go ahead. And before we introduce who you are to our listeners, I think that the biggest question I want to go ahead and just get out there is when I say the ripple is real, what does that bring up or mean for you? You know, when you said that to me originally, when we were talking about doing this, I thought, wow, that is like just the perfect way of describing how I think about what I do. Mm. 
So when we create spaces, when we organize spaces that support us, it naturally ripples into how our time flows, right? Because if you have a, a supportive organized space, you're moving around in it more easily. You're, you're you know, saving yourself time as you, you know, try to get out the door for the day or whatever it is you're, you're trying to accomplish. And when we clear out our head clutter, it opens up the opportunity to think differently about how we arrange our spaces and organize our whole lives. So sometimes the smallest shift can make such a difference. And whether you want to compare that to like the butterfly effect or ripples in a pond spreading out or, you know, however you want to think about that ripple, I just like to think that what I do in a small way is a ripple. And hopefully I'm helping my clients to lead calmer and easier and more efficient lives, which for them, for, for them, hopefully ripples out into what they want to do in the world and how it empowers them to be able to create and do the things that they're meant to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then if they're doing the things they're meant to do, can you imagine like the inspiration that it's like, you don't even know how it touches other people who are seeing what they're doing or being positively impacted by them. I feel like it's infinite possibility. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it is. You know, I like to think that if, if we get a little small system put into place and, and people feel su successful with that, that they're going to be able to touch so many other people in so many amazing ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I think people may have been able to gather a little bit about what you do, but can you please go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell them all about who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm Sarah Skillen and I'm a certified organizer coach and a certified professional organizer. So I coach people and I help people with their spaces and with their time and their tasks, what I like to call life order. And I love helping people to create their own best life order, not necessarily how I would do it, but how they need to be able to do it to be their own best selves. Okay. So can you go a little deeper for us into, and I think this is a calling for you, but can you yeah. go? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Can, good. Can you go a little bit deeper into why life order is a calling for you and what is it about it that you really love? So I love to see how much peace and relief people feel when they slip into the right gear with their organizing mm. or with their time management or productivity. I mean, those are terms I don't often use, but they're terms that other people understand. I think we all know what we're talking about when we say time management. For me, it's a lot more holistic. I think those things blend into each other as, as I've already alluded to. And I love it because I know how much it also resonates for me, Okay, you know, how much organization and being on top of things has meant for me in my life. And yeah, I just love to see that aha moment on someone's face when they recognize, oh, this is how I can do this. And, oh, I can maintain this. I, you know, I don't have to do it the way anybody else says to do it or how the book says to do it or what they see, they see on Instagram or a TV show. Mm -hmm. They can do it for themselves. And that's just really big fun for me. Yeah. So one word that you mentioned that stands out to me a lot is relief. And I've oftentimes felt like relief is just one of the 
like the best feelings in the world. Can you describe, and I know like everybody's probably felt relief, but maybe not thought about it in such a deep way, but can you really dig into what that emotion feels like? I think it's different for everyone. For me, when I think about relief, it's, it's a letting go. It's a mm. taking off the weight so that then you can move freely. And I don't necessarily just mean moving physically freely, but being freer to have confidence in your own decision-making and and when, when we create space in a, in a physical space or in a time space, when we resolve some issues that have been troubling us or gnawing at us or getting in our way, and then there's that opening, it's, you know, it's like the sun cracking through a, a cloud. And then you can start to see, oh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about my garage being a nightmare, or I don't have to worry about being overcommitted and having, you know, too many balls in the air that I am just about to drop all of them. When we can start to create that space and that worry and that stress and, you know, all that stuff, when that lifts, mm-hmm. even, even for a short period of time, because I mean, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna always get rid of our stress. There's always going to be stuff that, that comes back in and, and crowds our brain, but even for a moment, then you can start to see those possibilities. Okay. That's settled. Now, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, okay. How can I move forward? Yeah. Did that answer your question? I hope that answered your question. Absolutely. And, and thank you for putting that into words for us, because I think it's like something we all feel, but we don't always talk about. So that's, that's really interesting. I want to want to dive a little bit into your personal story before we go into some some more like technical things about organizing, but what in your life pointed you to this? Like mm-hmm. growing up, did you recognize a need for it or just how did it all come about? So as a child, <laughs> I was not that kid who organized everything. I was not a super neat, tidy child. I think lots of times you will hear professional organizers talk and, and they'll say, and and I'm sure it's accurate. Oh, I was, I was the child that always color coded my books or I organized my doll clothes or I organized my friends' rooms growing up. I, I was definitely not that kid. But what I did have, I had parents who in, in their own unique ways were both very successful with creating order. Okay. So my dad was career military. Um, by the time I came along, he was, he, I came along kind of late in the, in their lives, but um, he was already retired, but he still retained that. Well, and I, actually, I think he went into the military already having a, a real strong sense of, you know, wanting order, um, not wasting things, uh, not over accumulating things. You know, he just set an amazing example in that regard mm-hmm. with everything in he, that he did. My mom, conversely, she wasn't disorganized, but she was far more the creative person. You know, she always had projects going. She was very artistic. She was always into landscaping and, you know, just any kind of crafting, sewing, anything you could think of. Mm -hmm. So she always had those projects going on, but also she was very, very committed to 
the concept of time. And what I mean by that is, you know, she really impressed upon me the importance of not being late. And I know that's a, that can be a hot button issue for a lot of people around being late, but that's, it was my experience, right? She was mm-hmm. just, you know, you, you want to make sure that you plan things so that you get to places on time. She had this on all my whole childhood. She had this calendar right next to the phone back when phones were on the wall and calendars were paper calendars. And it was, you know, fairly big kind that you could always write in the little squares and she was always working that calendar, always planning ahead, always thinking through, always making lists. You know, there was always a notepad with all of her lists and things there. And as soon as I was old enough and I started engaging in all the different extracurricular activities, she immediately had me putting those on the calendar for her. Mm. So instead of her managing my schedule all the time, you know, if I came home and said, oh, I've got a Girl Scout thing this weekend or whatever, go put it on the calendar. You know, that was just a ritual for her. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, they didn't really pester me a whole lot about being super neat. I don't recall being harassed about the state of my room. I mean, other than just the normal, you know, I got a vacuum in there, Sarah, I need you to pick up your, your crap. But I think that kind of gave me, um, it gave me two great examples, first of all. And then it also allowed me to, again, figure out how I wanted to organize my space. So by the time I was in high school, I wanted to be neat for whatever reason. I don't really know what the shift was. Maybe it was because I was having friends over and I didn't want my room to be, I don't know what it was, but I started seeing the value. I think too, um, I became very, very busy in high school, I was involved in the band and I was, you know, deeply involved in music. I was teaching lessons, actually. It was pretty good. And so I was teaching younger students. That was my job all through high school was teaching private music lessons. That's really cool. It was cool. And, yeah. and I look back on it, I sort of took it for granted at the time, but, you know, I had friends who were working at fast food restaurants, making minimum wage. And I was making 10 bucks an hour teaching middle schoolers how to play their scales, which was pretty cool. But I had to, I had to stay up on top of all of that. I had to, if I wasn't at band practice, because we had a very intense band program when I was in high school, you know, if I wasn't involved with that, I was teaching the lessons and I just, I, I couldn't drop those balls. So I, I think I learned through that process, how to, manage myself and the way I moved through all of that. And then, you know, went on to college. I ended up, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a performing musician originally, but my parents had other ideas and they were, they were concerned about that Mm -hmm. um, at least. And so I ended up getting a music education degree. Okay. And when I started teaching, because I came out and basically I was suited to be a band director Okay. So, you know, let's give that a try. Let's see how that goes. And I was 21 and I was five foot four and I looked like I was 14 and classroom management, you know, could present challenges Mm -hmm. when you're, when you look like one of the students and I didn't want to scream. You know, I did not want to be up on the podium yelling at the students to keep things under control. So what I turned to was organization. What I turned to was, you know, how much can I make this space organized, 
no question, you know, the kids can walk in the room, they can see exactly where they're supposed to sit. They can see exactly what the rehearsal order is for the day, because I always had that on the board. They can know exactly what the routines are. They can know exactly where to find their stuff, where to put their stuff away. They can learn the value of making sure the room is set up for the next group to come in. I mean, it was just, it was all about keeping that order so that, you know, I wouldn't be peppered with a bunch of questions at the beginning and kind of distracted by that. The kids, the, everything was, the expectations were crystal clear. Mm. I think when things are not clear in your mind and you get muddled, yeah, then that, that shows up externally. And so that was my way of managing. That was my way of handling all of that with the students. And I think it worked pretty well overall. I mean, it's not like I was, it's not like I never had any issues with discipline or classroom management. You have, you know, a hundred kids in a room holding things that make noise. You're going to have some, <laughs> you're going to have some, some challenges, but I, I really think it supported me. And that's really where the value of it took hold. And then, you know, my career changed a couple of times after that. Ultimately, you know, being a band director was not clearly the thing I ended up finding as my calling. Mm-hmm. But those lessons that I learned of the value of providing organization and creating order for people certainly carried through to what I do now. Yeah, that's really interesting that you approached it that way and that you basically just inherently knew that if you removed the potential for chaos, that it would be a calmer environment. You wouldn't have to yell, things like that. So that's really interesting. So how did you make the transition from band director to going full-time into organization and coaching and those things? So after the five years of teaching band, I went back to school to get a performance degree, an advanced degree. And I did perform for a while, played with different orchestras, chamber ensembles, things of that nature, but also had to teach lessons, also had to do a fair amount of traveling. By this point in time, I had met and married my husband and we were settled in middle Tennessee and I was driving all over the place, teaching and playing and doing all this stuff. And I guess the short version is I felt like I took that as far as I could take it. Okay. There's more to it, but, you know, just for the sake of getting to the point here, I ended up shifting gears and, and switching careers entirely and had a friend who had become a paralegal. And was she was sharing, and she had been a vocal teacher, and she was sharing with me about how much that helped her, how much it meant to her, and it just was intriguing to me. I have a mm-hmm. brother who's a lawyer, and um, several relatives who are in in the legal field, and so I started looking into paralegal school, and I found it fascinating. And what I found fascinating was, oh, you can organize things for people, and you can make lists and you can follow timelines. And there was just all this organizational work that went into it. And I I wanted to learn something about the law as well. For a while, I uh, seriously considered going to law school. And then about that time, once I got through the paralegal program and started working in that world, my husband's career started moving us around the country. And it was good that I had those skills because it really helped me to transition career-wise, it was a lot easier to go to a new city and get a job as a paralegal than to try to break into the music world in, say, Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we lived for a while, or or LA. And it was just useful skills 
fascinating. Ultimately, I decided I did not want to go to law school. We had moved back to the Nashville area, had two children by this point, and I wanted to start my own business. I wanted something that would give me flexibility and really help me lean into who I wanted to be. Mm. And I started recognizing that through line of organization, you know, how, how organization and order and managing timelines and things of that nature had played into all of the different jobs I had. I had a lot of different jobs as a paralegal. And so I literally Googled, what can you do if you're organized? Okay. I had, I had not heard of professional organizing at that point. Uh And I was just astounded. The first hit that came up on my search was the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are others. <laughs> you know, there are, there are people in the world who do this for a living. And I was hooked. I, you know, I joined the organization. I joined the local chapter. I started asking questions. I started taking classes. And and unbelievably, that's that's been 10 years since I did that. This is my 10th year in business. And I I'm still just, you know, shocked that the time has gone by so quickly. But then how I came to the particular mix of what I do now, very early in my organizing work, I had clients who were sharing with me that they had a diagnosis of ADHD. Okay. And a little light bulb went off. I knew from teaching, you know, I, unfortunately, <clears throat> when I started teaching, we won't say how long ago that was, but you know, ADHD was kind of new on the scene or new ish Mm -hmm. and people didn't know a lot about it. And there were a lot of harmful stereotypes and, you know, just a lot of difficult stuff. And I had some students who, who were diagnosed. And when I had an adult first mention it to me, I thought, oh my gosh, of course, children with ADHD grow up and become adults with ADHD. And so that was a real wake up call for me to start digging into learning as much about it as I could okay. because they were really my favorite clients. You know, what I've always done with my organizing is tried to teach the skills to my clients, not just go in and just go make a beautiful pantry or, you know, straighten up a closet, but to really empower them and teach them how they can do it for themselves. And of course that diagnosis had an impact yeah, how they might be able to manage that for themselves. And that then eventually led me into the coach training program designed specifically for organizers. And that was the game changer to learn the coaching skills and to really, you know, hold the space for the client to figure out their own best solutions, know that they can, you know, believe in them that they can do, do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's just been this amazing unfolding and, and every step along the way has made so much sense for me. Like there's been no question. Yeah. This, okay. This is the next step. And yes, absolutely. This is the next thing I need to be doing here to help my clients. So, okay. Like it just sort of unfolded naturally as you progressed, I guess, is a fair statement. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot of, well, most of us who organize specialize in one way or another, and often it's around the kind of space, you know, we have people who specialize in business organizing and people who specialize in residential organizing or photo organizing or 
organizing, um, you know, for seniors or moves or, so there were all of these what types of organizing. And I realized that I was more into the who mm. kind of organizing, like, who do I want to organize for? And I was a little nervous about stepping into specifically working with people who are neurodivergent and I kind of put my toe in the water and then I got some serious affirmation around that okay. in terms of responses from clients. And when I did kind of finally put it out there, then, then the coach training just sort of came up in a really organic and appropriate and a way that fit right in with where I was at the time. And it's also been, I think back about the pandemic and how fortunate I was to have that training because I would say before the pandemic, I was about 50, 50 in-person organizing and coaching, standalone coaching. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everything shut down and many of us were, you know, we could, we didn't feel like we could go into people's homes. Right. You know, we, we all kind of, what, what, what do we need to do here? And I thought, okay, I'm just going to have to kind of hunker down and wait this out. But then, but then the coaching just grew. I was so fortunate that the coaching grew and I continue, you know, uh, of course, continue to learn and take classes and uh, do all my continuing education. And so now I'm, you know, I do go back to see, I have gone back to seeing people in person, but my coaching, you know, the, the distribution is now about 10% organizing and about 90% coaching. Mm. And I find that even people who come to me with a specific organizing challenge frequently were able to work through that mostly through a coaching lens. Okay. And they, and then they're able to go and, you know, I even did a little virtual organizing where people set up their computers and their space. And, and that's kind of cool too, because then I'm, I'm not putting my hands on their stuff at all. Yeah. They're the ones doing it. And I'm just there to help support them in the process. We're talking to Sarah Skillen. She's a certified organizer coach, certified professional organizer, and is the founder of Skillset Coaching and Organizing based in Nashville, Tennessee. It's time for a quick break. I'm your host, Brandy Fleck, and this is Human Amplified. There's a long wait to get into most mental health practitioners right now. I hear that may be the way it goes for some time as we recover from the imprint of the pandemic and continue to deal with the aftermath and even new developments in our chaotic society as they come. Trauma-informed coaching isn't a replacement for therapy, but in the interim, in tandem with, after, or on its own, it can definitely help get you moving in the direction you want to go in a safe and gentle way while processing the emotions of the present moment. I'm specifically equipped to support your self-healing in trauma recovery, provide life coaching, or both while minimizing triggers and going at your pace toward your specific goals. Sound like just what you need? Find out if trauma-informed coaching with me is for you by scheduling your free discovery call at humanamplified.com front slash episodes front slash 103. Now back to the show. We're talking to Sarah Skillen, organizer coach and professional organizer who is the founder of Skillset Coaching and Organizing. This is really interesting. I'm really curious how you account for like neurodiversity 
in your coaching and organizing and like what types of considerations or skills would be different for, you know, anybody with, I'm not even sure how to, to phrase the question, you know, because all of our brains are, can be different. So how do you account for that? Weirdly, I, I find this to be one of your toughest questions. I've had people ask me those sorts of things before. I think it's tough because, well, also really just what you just said about, we all fall along a continuum of neurodiversity. Right. It's hard to pin down, but I also wonder why we have to have a world where it's so hard to be accepting of neurological differences that I even have to make a distinction. Mm. You know, I often say, I wish I could organize or coach myself out of a job. I wish that my clients who have frankly, amazing brains, Mm -hmm. incredible talent. I hate that, that it even has to be a thing, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, so all that aside, you know, how do I do this differently? Well, I guess, first of all, I, I throw out the book, you know, the, the standard conventional, here's how you organize kinds of how to stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I let that go completely because conventional organizing methods, whatever those might be, don't typically work or they don't work in the way that they might be prescribed. Okay. So, you know, if you want to take, you know, some of the, you know, organizing gurus or time management gurus, and, and they have good ideas. They all have solid methods, ways of laying things out for people so that they can make their decisions and, and work through things. But I think sometimes they also do harm because someone who thinks differently, you know, if, if they could follow those prescribed methods, they wouldn't be reaching out to me in the first place. <laughs> they would just follow the method. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to throw out all of these, you know, okay, here's step one, you know, pull everything out of the closet and here's, well, you know, for some people pulling everything out of the closet is so overwhelming. Mm. Oh my goodness. You know, I mean, it might work for some people. That's the other confusing thing about this or mm, confusing. Maybe a better word would be the challenging thing about this is ADHD shows up so differently from person to person. Okay. Yes. There are commonalities. Yes. There are traits, but you know, the stereotypical stuff about hyperactivity, you know, may or may not be true. The stereotypical stuff about being scattered or, you know, forgetful or distractible or whatever, it it comes into play in such different ways for people. Some of that depends upon, you know, how they've been brought up. Some of that depends upon when they were diagnosed. Some of that depends upon what kind of work they do. You know, a lot of folks with ADHD, if they find the right vocation, the right calling, they're golden. They're, you know, they're doing what they want to do and they're, you know, they're expressing themselves in the way they need to express. And they've, happened on to the supports that, you know, that help them to be able to do that. Um, but a lot of people haven't. And so, you know, to say, okay, this is how you organize for ADHD, or this is how you organize for someone on the autism spectrum, or this is how you organize for someone with OCD. I, you know, I don't know. I think where I come down on it, you know, I, I need all the training. I need to know what's going on chemically. I need to understand that, but that's just the baseline. 
Mm-hmm. And then really wh- where I approach it is, first of all, from acceptance and patience, letting the person know, hey, it's okay to describe these things to me. You are safe to show me this part of your life that feels shameful or embarrassing or whatever. We're okay. We're going to look at this as a puzzle Mm. and we're going to do it together. We're going to partner on this. That's really where the coaching piece comes in is not me barging in as some sort of drill sergeant expert Mm -hmm. because that can do a lot of damage. Um, But me coming in as a partner and saying, okay, here are some best practices with organization. You know, here's some ways you can approach it. What do you think about that? Mm. How how might you, or, you know, how do you move through this space? How do you want this space to be? What do you need to be able to do in here? And really doing a lot of deep listening about that. And, you know, again, coming back to the different kinds of organizers there, you know, not everybody wants to, to work that way. And that's okay. There are a lot of organizers out there who do come in and do the space for someone. And sometimes that can work out really well, or they do come in and they have a very specific prescribed method for some people. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But that just doesn't feel appropriate for the way that I want to work with my client. I, you know, let's go back to humanity, what it means to be human. Yeah, I want to go back to the client's own way of being human in the world. Mm-hmm. And then that those, those structures should, should only support them in that the structure shouldn't be the thing. Yeah. You know, it's like a skeleton, you know, or, a you know, some kind of a cool lattice or frame or something, you know, that's the basis. And then what can they hang on top of that? That is going to be uniquely their own. For our listeners sake, if someone's listening with ADHD or something like that, this is what I, what I think I hear as a takeaway from what you just said is that if you want to organize your space, it's okay. Um, there's no shame in how it is when you start out and um, when you haven't gotten life order and things like that, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that when you do decide you want life order, I think I'm hearing you say you can come get help. And when you do, ask yourself questions like, how does this space work for me? How do I want to live? What is it about my humanity that I can support through these structures I'm going to create? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because, you know, I say all the time, you you don't live to organize, you organize so you can live. And it doesn't matter if your organizational system looks just like the book or the Instagram photo or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. We want to look at what, what ultimately you want to get out of this. You know, I had, I had this conversation just the other day with someone where they had been feeling very guilty about not folding and putting away all their folded laundry. And part of that was because they couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, so why not hang up everything? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares if you, you know, if you file fold your t-shirts, that's, that's a cool thing. I like seeing those kinds of pictures and things. It's kind of fun, but, but what are you looking for here? You want to get dressed. You want to walk in your closet and grab your stuff quickly and get dressed and get out the door. Mm -hmm. Who cares if it's file folded t-shirts or t-shirts that you hang, Mm -hmm. 
you know, what works, right. You know, that's, that's the only thing that we need to be concerned about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask you sort of two follow-up questions to this. So I'll start with, if there's one piece of advice you could give to anyone listening with ADHD or not, who wants to get started with more life order, what would that be? Well, it's about making decisions. Mm, Okay. It's about trusting yourself or learning to trust yourself to make decisions. There's, there's a phrase out there. I didn't coin it, but it's something along the lines of all clutter is the result of postponed decisions. Mm. And I think that applies to physical clutter. I think it applies to schedule clutter. It applies to brain clutter. And most people that I work with haven't learned how to dis- to trust their decision-making process. Okay. And um, I think to get started, try making a decision, you know, mm-hmm. it can be a small one. You can open up a drawer and say, you know what? I don't need that anymore. Or you could look at your, look at your email inbox and say, I don't need to be getting all these newsletters or looking at your calendar and saying, I want to make space for this in my life on my calendar. And this is now a priority. What do I have to do? What, what other decisions do I have to make to get this on my calendar and make it a priority? That's oversimplified, but I think that's a starting point. Good. Yeah. It really does make a lot of sense. Like learn to trust your decision-making process. And then when you make a decision, that implies that there's action involved, right? Like when you make that decision, if you don't follow through with it, you've actually made a different decision. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Spot on. Okay. Not doing something as a decision in itself. Um, and yet that is speaking to directly to certainly a trait that a lot of my clients struggle with is being able to take action and trying to figure out how to get from that decision to moving forward. Yeah. How would you advise to facilitate action? Yeah. I like the word facilitate, you know, in in coaching, we ask a lot of questions about what, what could make bridging that gap easier. What could, what could you put in place that would make starting easier? A lot of times there are so many other things that are floating around, you know, in the brain. Mm-hmm. In terms of just, there's all that it's, it's hard to kind of get zeroed in on. I don't have to do the whole thing. And I, at, at all the same time, I call it horizontal thinking, you know, everything's important all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to distinguish. And so asking a lot of questions about, okay, what would maybe be the easiest first thing? What would be the easiest first step? How could I make that step easier? What do I know about myself? that makes things easier. How would I like to feel if I start that first step? Mm. Could I get curious about that? You know, what would it be like to start? Yeah. You know, what would it be like to sort of go against my grain and do it a little bit differently? And to do that, you know, there's, there's all these layers of working through some of those, you know, negative messages that they might've received or, 
feeling like they can't do anything. Um, there's a lot of, you know, harshness, sometimes a lot of self-judgment that if they can trade some of that for some curiosity and a willingness to experiment, that can, that can sort of get the ball rolling. Okay. Frequently, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody say, once I got started, I was fine. Mm. It was that first little step that was a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that our listeners have some, well, takeaways that they could immediately take action on if they wanted to after listening to this episode. But I've got one more question for you about organizing. And then I want to tie this in to spirituality, because I know that um, you've been doing some, some work there. So, but so my last question about organizing is what happens when you have someone or several people in a family who are wildly neurodifferent or neurodiverse? Mm-hmm. How do you make something work for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the big question. Um, well, I have never encountered a family or a couple, you know, or a, I've never encountered any group like that where everybody handled everything the same way, including my own family. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, uh, we all have different ways of managing our stuff. And I, I do have a child diagnosed with ADHD who handles his stuff very differently than, than I handle mine. We've talked about that. So there's a couple of things, you know, first of all, picking your battles about what's really important. Mm-hmm. I think I got that, you know, I was talking about how my parents were pretty easygoing about the state of my uh, spaces, as long as it wasn't something that was going to burn the house down or, you know, cause some sort <laughs> of a, a big problem. And, you know, I, I try to be that way with my own kids and look at what is really important. Mm-hmm. Is it really important to have the bed made every morning or is it more important that you're making a difference in the world and being a good human and being polite and, you know, getting good grades if it's, you know, concerns about the kids. I, I think I have irritated some parents in the past when I've spoken to some groups and I get a question about, you know, how can I get my kid to be organized? And, you know, I, I think harassing them is not ever going to work. Mm-hmm. I think this shows up with couples too. Usually one is really organized. One is not, or one hangs on to lots and lots of things and one does not. Mm-hmm. So true in my family <laughs> and to, to harass them or criticize them or keep pushing or needling it, you know, it just backfires. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of ways that I think I have seen work in a lot of different instances. One is if someone in the family is concerned about organization, they need to start with themselves and their own spaces and their own, you know, cause there are families where, I mean, yeah, it runs in families, of course, you know, the mm-hmm. neurodiversity and, you know, so if one person is starting to make some changes and the other person may be really resistant, mm-hmm. you know, so we just work on, just work on you get your spaces the way you want them, manage your time the way you want to manage it. Frequently, it can be contagious because if you're not harassing the other person, if you're not needling your child, if you're not um, putting all of that negative energy, again, well-meaning, you know, Mm -hmm. sure. but, but, you know, if you're not pushing that all the time and you're sticking with you and setting an example, 
that really is very powerful. Mm. You know, our kids are watching us. Yeah. And so if you pay attention to how you keep your own stuff, I do think that, you know, not in all instances, but I do think it's, it's much more powerful than, than forcing someone to, to get their spaces under control, you know, so that's one thing. And then the other is, you know, around acceptance and having some open and and calm conversations. So, you know, if you're, if you do have a, a family member who's, and, and also I should make the distinction here too, that when we cross over into hoarding disorder, that's a whole different ball game. And I'm not an expert on that. Okay. So I do think that's important to state that what I'm talking about is um, garden variety clutter and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and chronic disorganization, which means a person has made repeated attempts to try to become more organized and they haven't been successful, mm-hmm. but we're going to set hoarding aside. But anyway, so, so having some conversations, you know, Hey honey, you know, I'm noticing this. I, I'm noticing that you're having trouble finding your stuff or you're having trouble getting your backpack together before you get out the door. Or I, I notice that you're really stressed out because you can't find what you need in your office. And would it be okay for us to talk about that a little bit? Cause I'd, I'd like to help you with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, coming at it from a, I want you to live a better life, not your space is trashed and what's wrong with you. And get all that crap out from under your bed. You know, it just, yeah. and like I said, I think when I've talked about this um, and really just focused on pick your battles, a lot of people have a hard time hearing that, mm-hmm. but acceptance goes a long way. Yeah. I think one of the key ingredients to being successful, and I'm only guessing here would be patience. You know, if you want to set an example that takes a lot longer than saying, Hey, go clean up your room, you know, Mm-hmm. And, and that might be difficult for people. So let's transition into spirituality really quick. I know you've been doing some work there. So how does that all tie in with your calling around life order? Well, the short answer is I'm not entirely sure just yet. That's awesome. So, yeah. And for me, that's an unusual place to be. I mean, I'm the kind of person that, you know, I want my answers and I want things tied up with a bow and, and, and this spiritual journey, they, that's not, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So I think just inherently, maybe there's some value in that and that I'm learning to sit with ambiguity, Mm. which is valuable for me, but you know, my spiritual life has always been incredibly important you know, briefly, I grew up in a pretty, you know, straightforward, you know, mainline Protestant kind of church experience as most people in the South do, uh, of, you know, one, one type or another. Mm-hmm. But in the past, I'd say 15 years, it's really grown and expanded. And just through some exposure to some things that I was fortunate to have in terms of working with dreams looking at some other ways of working with spirituality, meditation, which is really, really important to me. And in all of that exploration and inner work, I came across the Hayden Institute, which is an organization that offers training in both spiritual uh, direction, interfaith, spiritual direction, and also dream work. And because I've done dream work for years, I mean, I certainly don't know everything there is to know about that, but mm-hmm. I was really intrigued with the spiritual direction program and looked into it. I had some friends who had been through it and 
I just felt this again, you know, kind of going back to trusting my intuition. I just felt this really strong pull that this is really important for me to dig into and explore. And I don't know where it's going just yet. Mm-hmm. I do know that when I am listening to clients, you know, this is one of those things that can be so divisive where people, I think many, I'll, you know, I'll go out on a limb. I'd say a majority of people have a belief, belief system, mm-hmm. whether it's um, Christian based or Jewish or, you know, whatever um, they've got a belief system, whether they, they practice it externally or not, but we don't want to go there because, you know, there's like all the icky stuff around my God versus your God and just all that. And so I think what this has been doing for me so far is it's been giving me a, a bigger ear that when I hear a client start to bring some of their spiritual journey into our conversation, I can be really open to that Mm. and hopefully help them to feel safe because I do think it colors our language. It colors our perspectives. It colors the way we think about different things. And so, you know, I've had some clients just very carefully sort of say, you know, is it okay if I talk about this because this, this impacts the way my day goes Mm -hmm. or it impacts the way I consider a certain word. And if I can be open to it, regardless of what kind of a religious or spiritual background they have and be able to be accepting and sit with that, it really, it opens some things up. And I recognize I'm speaking maybe a little vaguely about it. I'm just trying to make sure I don't bring in anything that, you know, cause there's client confidentiality and all that kind of good stuff, but sure. Um, you know, if someone wants to develop their spiritual practice and they recognize that centering prayer really kicks their day off in a totally different way than if they don't have that practice in place, we need to be able to talk about that. And I need to be able to, you know, have enough spiritual grounding myself Mm -hmm. to be able to have, you know, be able to open that up for them or, or to sit with them and let them open it up. Yeah. One of the things in, in the spiritual direction program that really struck me in one of the first books I had to read was the author called it midwifery of the soul. So like being a midwife and a midwife waits. Mm Mm-hmm. The midwife doesn't give birth. The midwife waits while the person is giving birth. And so that's, you know, that may seem like it's pretty far afield from life order, but I don't know. I think I have the strong sense that there are connections to be made there. Mm -hmm. And I haven't figured them all out yet, but I'm really enjoying the journey. Yeah. I've been dying to ask you this question since we started talking and I wanted to save it. So You've mentioned the phrase creating order a couple of times, and I was going to ask you a question about like, oh, what have you learned about the universe through your spiritual work and how does it all tie in? But really what, what pops up for me is that there is already order in the universe, even if it seems chaotic. So when we are creating order in our life, is it something that we, that you think we are just drumming up as creators ourselves, or are we accessing order that's already there? Ooh, 
<laughs> wow. I think it's both. Mm, okay. I think that however you want to label whatever words you want to use, God, universe, creator, however you want to label that, then this is just me. Mm -hmm. I think it's co-creation. I think there is an order in the universe. I think the universe responds to our order. I, I think we, I think we can work on that together. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And thank you for asking that. You may have just given me sort of my first, first little puzzle piece. Oh, I got chills. I got chills. Yeah, thank you. That was a great question. I'm glad we're getting this recorded because now I'm going to go back <laughs> listen to myself and, and think about that some more. Well, yeah, as you uncover these puzzle pieces, I would love to like hear somehow or like learn about the connections you make as you, as you figure out if that's even possible. But I think that would be interesting. Yeah. I'd love to come back and I'm so honored you know, that you asked me to do this. You were, you were talking earlier in the conversation about sort of bookending with the blog post and with, with this episode. And, you know, I've been listening to some of your episodes and just blown away by the stories of so many of the guests. And it's like, wow, it's just an honor to be like on the front end and the back end of all of that. Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, it's, it's really been great having you. I would love for you to let our listeners know where they can find you and what resources you have out there for them. Absolutely. So the easiest place to go find me is at my website, which is skillsetorganizing.com. So you can go there on my homepage. You can uh, sign up for my newsletter and you'll get an automatic download of a, a printable little worksheet I have that you can use to work with some of those more challenging objects that you might run, run across in your organizing adventures. So you can go there. You can also find my book there. My book is Organizing and Big Scary Goals, Working with Discomfort and Doubt to Create Real Life Order. And that came out in early 2020. That was a fun time to release a book. <laughs> Which, you know, you can find it. It's in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. You can find it wherever books are sold, or you can find it at the Nashville Public Library. You can ask for it at your libraries. Um, I'm a big fan of libraries. Um, and then I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And um, Instagram and Twitter is at Sarah Organizes. And on Facebook, it's just Skillset Organizing. Awesome. So, would love okay. you to follow me. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and guys, all of that will be in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And Sarah, it's, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brandy. I've had so much fun talking to you today. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and learn more at humanamplified.com. To schedule your free discovery call to see if trauma-informed coaching with me, Brandy, is right for you, visit humanamplified.com front slash episodes front slash 103.